what are you going to tell us, tough guys? My usual. Zero. Nothing. <laughs> All right, well, I've got to make a confession just to kick this thing off. Who knew Who knew how much of a legend Jewel was? How good's Jewel? I mean, she had those songs back in the 90s that we loved. She was a little bit cute. I was, what was I, 1995, I was eight years old. 97, I think her hit song came out, You Were Meant For Me, I think it's called. And I was eight. I remember she, she must have been maybe... Maybe in her twenties at the time, and even as an eight-year-old, I go, I got a weird crush on this chick. I, I like, I'd never really had a crush on someone before, but she came up on the screen. And I thought, hang on, like, is there is there a chance that that things could work out between us? <laughs> she, which is a strange thought for an eight-year-old kid to have. It's quite a, it's quite an organised thought if you ask me, because for an eight-year-old kid to be thinking about the the future that he dreamed of with the woman of his dreams, who had just released a hit song. I mean that shows some level of organisation, doesn't it? You can't, you can't just be a disorganised kid planning for the future like that. Sure, there's there's something got there's some kind of admin skill going on there, or at least an ability to see potential for for what the future of Tyson Popplestone is. That's what I thought, but that was all I liked her for. She was just pretty. She had like slightly funny teeth, but a cool nature, and and she was in this song singing weird film clip as well. Just like a it looked like an empty studio kind of room. I'm guessing it had a green screen. It was, and like all sort of mid-90s pop songs, it was slightly sexual, slightly sexual. It was about her boyfriend. And and I just remember thinking as an eight-year-old, it'd be cool to be that guy. <laughs> it'd be pretty cool. But that was the last That was the last time I, I really thought about Jewel. I hadn't thought that much about her until a week and a half ago. And I got two people message me and say, Tice, have you heard Jewel on Joe Rogan's podcast? I said, mate, like you can't, like I appreciate, I appreciate you texting that, but maybe you haven't texted me for a couple of months. It's weird that you you feel like this particular topic is is the right topic to to break the the text message drought between us. And and I thought, okay, well, the people that recommended it, they've got pretty good reputations when it comes to recommending podcasts. So I thought, okay, I'm gonna have to do it. Man, I'm so glad I did. I reckon, I'm gonna I'm gonna repeat it. I think I'm gonna listen to it again. That's how cool she was. She's a, how do you, I'm trying to think of the best way to describe it. She's not, um, there's so many wankers in that Hollywood high, high, what do you call it? What's the Hollywood version of the music scene? It's not Hollywood, is it? Like they're different industries, I'm pretty sure. I don't think Jewel's singing in Hollywood. She's doing her own thing, I'm, I'm pretty sure. But there's so many wankers. And man, if you haven't listened to it, go do yourself a, I got, the crush was reignited. I haven't felt that way since... Probably 2008 when I discovered Kate Miller-Heidke. Do you remember Kate Miller-Heidke? Weird kind of look going on, but there's something attractive to me about it. I don't know what it is. Very, It's the same kind of attraction I have to, to someone like Lana Del Rey. It's a little bit weird, something slightly off, something a little bit different. But it, it gets my attention. Kate, that brings back some... I remember watching the morning show in 2008. For some reason, I was sleeping in the lounge room floor of my share house. I turned the morning show on. And uh, what was that? I was 21 years old. Hadn't yet married my wife. I don't even think we were dating at this stage. So these feelings were completely, completely allowed. Otherwise, I wouldn't go public with it. I'd keep it to myself. I wouldn't be telling you freaks about it. Because I know word gets back to her real quick. I've found out through this podcast. Anyway, I woke up and I was like, who is this chick? Her voice is incredible. That's the thing for me. I'm attracted to not just looks. Like, what do you guys find attractive? I'm 
You could be a strange looking unit. In fact, sometimes it helps. Kate Miller-Heidke, Lana Del Rey. I, I do stand-up comedy some nights at a, at a room called, it's called Speakeasy HQ here in the city. And uh, here in the city, I'm in Queenscliff, which is an hour and a half out of the city, but the city of Melbourne. And this has got some of those some of those performers as well, like slightly dark maybe. There's a couple of belly dancers. There's a couple of girls who get up there with with like dark dark makeup and and really strange music. And there's something about me. I just go, oh, hang on a second. This is good. This is cool. I'm open with this about my wife as well. It's not like I'm confessing to you and I can't tell her about it. She knows. She kind of thinks the same thing. It's I reckon what it is, it's it's when you see someone just in the element, like when you see them just in their absolute element, doing what they're good at, and they hit that flow state. I have it with guys sometimes as well, unless I'm some like massive closet homosexual. Who's that guy, Norm Macdonald on Conan O'Brien? Um, I think he's dead now, poor guy. But my brother-in-law was telling me about him yesterday. He came out on Conan O'Brien, and he goes to uh, he goes to Conan, Conan, I'm a massive closet homosexual. And Conan goes, are you really? You're gay? And he goes, no, I'm not gay. What are you talking about? It's one of those moments. It's a, uh, yeah, the, the, it's not emotion. It's like the the appreciation of all sexes. In When you see someone just in flow state, I go, you know what? I don't care if you're a girl or guy. That's a little bit sexy. That's a weird comment, isn't it? I'm probably going to have to edit out this part of the podcast because that's a weird confession. The weird stuff, I was going to say the weird stuff starts to come out. In the, in the earlier parts of this podcast, but that's not completely true, is it? I got, I listen back to these sometimes just to, because when you're talking, you don't always know exactly how it sounds. Sometimes I'll go on a rant and I'll get halfway through a rant and I'll go, hang on, does this, does this make sense? So I just, I try and keep myself accountable and I'll listen back to it sometimes. And, and last week I got about 40 minutes into it and there was some weird stuff coming out even 40 minutes in. It's hard to listen to yourself as well. Much, much easier on a podcast though than, than when you're listening to yourself do stand-up comedy. It's I, I'm too honest with my wife. Last week I was um, I was telling you guys if you were one of the earliest people to download last week's podcast, you probably heard the story to my wife's dismay. But I actually I had to take the episode down. Sorry, I thought I just muted my microphone there. You can hear me, all right? Yeah, yeah, good. All right, I can still see the little sound waves on the. Uh... See if I if I hit this. This is called like a pop filter, and if I hit this pop filter, it hits a mute button. So I've just got to be careful because I don't want to get three quarters of the way through this podcast and just see that the audio's dropped out and it's just me speaking to the camera because as I say each week, like the audio is an essential part of, of this experience for, well, for you really, not for me because otherwise it's just like a verbal diary. But last week I was telling you guys a story about how Jesse and I, we went to a restaurant and uh, I can't go into details because she told me before the podcast, babe, please don't share those details. It's embarrassing to me. You look like a bad husband because I've specifically asked you not to do it. And I look like an idiot because what I did was dumb. And I know I'm baiting you. So if you if you want to find out, send Jesse a message on Instagram, Jessica Popplestone, and just say, hey, why did Tyson have to... Actually, I'd appreciate if you did this. Why did Tyson have to remove last week's podcast? Why did you make him edit it? Please tell me why it is. Tell me the story that he made you eliminate. That Jessica Popplestone, as I said, her name is on Instagram. She'll really appreciate the message. <laughs> Go and ask her. But I, I didn't take what she said seriously. I thought, babe, okay, you, you're being over the top here. No one cares about this situation. What you're worried about, what you're confused about, what you're concerned about, no one's going to care about. But I posted the episode and I got a message within 12 minutes that said, hey, how crazy is that story about Jesse? I was like, oh, all right. 
Maybe they paid more attention to it than I thought. She go and I got I got in serious trouble. And she's Eastern European, so the thing is, she's got a she's got a very long fuse. Like it takes her quite a while to get angry, or at least recognize that she's angry. I start to notice a couple of signs and symptoms before. There's a few twitches. That go, there's it's actually an, it's an eye movement. It's an eye movement and a tone of voice thing. So as an Eastern European, tone of voice isn't a massive passion of hers. She's more. Ha- she pays more attention to what, like the words that are being said rather than how they're said. She can sometimes say to me, babe, I love you with all my heart and I can be offended by it based on, based on the way she said it because her body language and the tone says, no, no, don't listen to my words. Listen to the body language. And this body language is, is filled with hatred, anger and disappointment in you as my husband. <laughs> it's not, she's such a great wife. I, uh, I give her too much of a hard time. But last week it was... It was frustrating for me because it's always exciting. I love the feeling of finishing a podcast, going through the edit, posting it, and it takes a little while as well. I need to get a, I need to get a producer. <laughs> I need to get a producer to look after this because, like, the only part of doing this podcast that I enjoy is what's happening right now. But once I press pause, once I press stop, I have to export audio files. I have to convert this video. I have to tie the audio. I look very official. I just saw myself in the camera there. I've got this this collared shirt on, which is, I actually bought at a, at a vintage shop in London a couple of years ago, and I, I loved it. My brother-in-law and I got a matching one. I think it was six pounds. I thought I'd thrown it out, and it was actually just in my, I'm not sure if I want to keep these clothes anymore closet. I've got a bag that I, I'd keep that kind of stuff in, because I've got a bad reputation for thinking, I'm just going to eliminate all the material things from my life. And then six months later, going to Jesse, babe, where's that leather jacket I had? I'm going through a phase where I've been watching a little bit of a uh, you know, a little bit of Keith Richards and thinking that maybe I could pull out a hairband and a leather jacket. And she'll say, babe, I told you not to throw it out six months ago. And you said, babe, what do you know? I think I'm pretty much enough in touch with my own emotions. And I've got enough self-understanding to know that if I'm throwing this out, I'm not going to want it again. She goes, babe, you say that on a regular, this happens three times a year. And so she convinced me, like, rather than throwing things in the bin, just to put them in a pile, put them in a, hey, I don't know if I want this pile. And then in six months, go and open it up. And here's the problem. Every six months, I always go and open it up. And I'm so excited about what I find in there. <laughs> I love this shirt. But I went to comedy the other night and uh, some smart ass, he, he thought he was real funny to say this. I walked in and Tolkien, great man, great man, funny man, interesting personality, hard to read, didn't think he liked me at the start. To be honest, still, if he's listening to this, still not sure he liked me. Tolkien would really appreciate you just clarifying um, whether or not we're mates. I feel like I'm putting in a lot of effort. I'm giving you a few smiles. I shake your hand. I like you, all right? I'm putting it out there. They were, consider me, that's like me. Uh, anyway, I got there last week and Tolkien said, mate, where'd you get your shirt? I said, hey, isn't this good? Tolkien's just recognized that I've got a nice shirt on. I've taken it out of the, hey, do I want this pile in my closet? I've decided to put it on. It's a little bit floral. It's got the collars. I like it. It makes me feel, I don't know, it's just, it's comfortable as a start point. Very, very, it's like a relaxed cotton. It's quite a loose fit. It feels, doesn't feel, it feels like the same texture as if it was wet without the coldness. So it sits heavy, which is good. So Tolkien saw it and he goes, mate, where'd you get your shirt from? I said, hey, Tolk, actually, mate, I got it in London. He goes, ah, oh, can you take it back? <laughs> I said, hey, you know what, Tolk? This is, uh, that's, not the kind of, that's not the kind of follow-up to that, that question that I was anticipating. I thought we were about to get off to a flying start to the night, and, uh, and instead you've sucker-punched me. You've just, you've just, it's not a discompliment, is it? Because a discompliment's not a word. But you've, you've certainly um, made me feel less 
less confident in the shirt choice that I'm wearing. And that's the hard thing as well at stand-up comedy because you're already nervous before you get up on stage. Less so when you're in a room full of comedians. So last, this, here's the thing. When you when you're working on new jokes in the comedy scene, there's there's like two different kinds of audiences. So when you have a regular audience member, we call them punters. I don't know if that's like a worldwide name, but here in Melbourne, or in Australia, I think we call them punters. So if you're there for the comedy, you're a punter. If you're there to do comedy, well, you're just a comedian and you're taking up a valuable seat from a punter who may want it. Problem is, not many punters want to go into these style of uh, comedy rooms, and <laughs> rightly so. Rightly so. There's not a whole heap of quality comedy going on there. Or in fact, that's what was that's what gave me the confidence to get up and do stand-up comedy. I I went to an open mic comedy room a few years ago and watched like a heap of different stand-up comedians get up and do like a five-minute set each and get no laughs whatsoever. I just remember thinking, I could do that. <laughs> and it's and it's so much harder when you're up there than than when you're just sitting in the seat judging a comedian. And man, I do that a lot as well. I do that with my friends. And the, the comedy scene, they're very open. I, I feel like they're very honest. There's there's not too many comedians who don't tell you when you've had a shit set. It's the ones that you don't know well that you've got to be careful of. And there's nothing worse than getting down off stage and a comedian, like when you know you've bombed and there's a tension in the room that you could cut with a knife and everyone was like, please, mate, I, like I know you've just bombed. I don't want to have anything to do with you because this starts to impact my reputation now as well. Like if I'm friends with you and you've just delivered that to a room full of people and now everyone feels a certain level of discomfort and disbelief at what's just taken place and uh, the lack of ability that you had not only to deliver a joke but to read a room, uh, that starts to, to make real, you know, real significant dents on the public image that I've spent so long trying to create. <laughs> And um, anyway, it's hard because because obviously here in Melbourne we haven't we haven't been out to do comedy for the last three months. So I've got a whole heap of new jokes that I'm trying to work on. I've got a whole heap of new jokes that I'm trying to work on. And the problem is, my jokes are rusty at the moment. They're, look, I'm not going to say that my jokes aren't rusty when I've 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 been uh, a regular at comedy clubs for a couple of months. There's still rusty moments, but but like anything, you haven't been to the gym for three months. Good luck. Uh, you know, having the same session as what you had three months ago when you've been going three or four times a week consistently. Your body's just not ready for it. And I got up there last week and, and as a result, I had some new stuff. And the reputation, like the room that I was at, I love. I love being there. I was excited to be there. I, I'm so pumped to be back. But the problem was there was a room full of comedians. And the problem with a room full of comedians is they're all just, they're not, no one's there for you. No one cares about your set. They pretend they do because they want you to care about your set, about their set, sorry. But no one, I play the same game, but it's like a mutual understanding. Look, I'm going to pretend to care about your set if you pretend to care about my set. I always know it's my it's my mates. They laugh hardest at the back of the room when a joke that I was anticipating landing just doesn't land. So I knew I was going to be a little bit of a rusty experience because I was saying two jokes for the first time. So I, I, went, I was telling the audience about how I've got a one and a half year old son now. And when my son doesn't do, oh, sorry, when my son tries to do something funny, and I don't give him the response that he was anticipating. So he might he might pull like a funny face at me, and I might just go, you know what? Like I, I'll give him an honest response, and I won't laugh that much. I'll just look at him and I'm like, hey, okay. Like, and he hates it when I don't give him the response that that he's anticipating. And when when that happens, rather than face me and the discomfort that comes with realizing that I didn't like the joke that he made, he just turns around and faces a wall so he doesn't have to deal with me. 
so that <laughs> that was my uh, that was, I stole that. So I opened with that story. I said, "Hey, here's the thing. I got an 18 month old son. He makes a joke. When I don't laugh, he turns around and faces the wall because it's easier to deal. Uh, it's easier to just deal with the wall than it is to deal with the lack of appreciation your own father has for your comedy." And uh, so they appreciated that story. But what was beautiful about it is it just set up a nice rest of the night now. So when I got to the punchline of one of my brand new jokes and no one liked it, and rather than having just to acknowledge what was going on, I just turned around and faced the wall. And that actually, that's what I love about comedy. There's there's weird ways to wiggle your way out of an awkward situation. So um, the worst part, honestly, I find the most uncomfortable part of stand-up comedy is when you get up on stage or when someone gets up on stage and they bomb and they're just eating shit for five minutes. But rather than acknowledging the fact they're eating shit, they just keep pushing through. You can see the awkwardness. I have these moments sometimes, but to have a nice little throwaway thing where you can just face the back of the wall and go, all right, <laughs> I acknowledge what's taken place. I'm going to ignore you and pretend that you guys are the... Maybe I find this funnier than most of you guys. I guess in order for me to tell this story, I have to be honest about the fact that, okay, my joke bombed. But then the beauty is, if you can back it up with something like that, hey, how good... I've been watching this comedian. He bloody... He has this for a story. So... Mitch Hedberg is his name. I'd never heard of him last week. Had no idea who he was. And I was just, I was going through like a, a, a little bit of a, a YouTube browse, just seeing what was coming up on my recommended videos. And this guy, Mitch Hedberg, 45 minute set came up. And uh, I thought, oh, I'll give this guy a go. Anyway, I, I could not believe how hard I was laughing. I very rarely laugh at stand up comics when I'm watching them on TV, regardless of how good they are. Like it's, doesn't bother me. I just sort of sit there, I go, I'll acknowledge, oh, it's sort of a funny joke in my head. But that's about as far as the recognition goes. This guy last week, I was thinking, man, this is incredible. Like this is this is so funny that I just I couldn't contain myself. I had to laugh. And so as I was laughing, I was uh, I was really paying attention to what he was doing. And one of the things I loved about what he was doing was when a joke landed flat or when the audience hated what he had to say, he's like, oh, he acknowledged it so well. He just acknowledged it beautifully. And what was great was he made what was an awkward. Uh, lack of a punchline to a joke so funny. So my really, hey, if I'm getting laughs, as long as people are laughing at the same thing and they're not laughing at like, hey, this guy's a dickhead, how embarrassing, which happens more than I'd like to admit, that happens plenty of times as well. I'm not saying that never happens, but when you're, when you're on the ball enough to catch yourself out to go, all right, gee, Tosh, you need to cover yourself here because uh, you've, completely lost the, you've completely lost the audience. <laughs> not only do they not like your joke, now they just don't like you. There's something refreshing about that. So I was excited. I went to I went to go check out this Mitch Hedberg. I, I went to Instagram to look up his feed. Couldn't find it. I was like, oh man, he's one of those comedians. He just doesn't have he just doesn't have social media. He's he's gone Chappelle style. Mind you, Chappelle, he's got he's got socials now. I think he's got socials. He had to advertise a new podcast that he was doing. So he's got the social media, but I couldn't find Mitch Hedberg anyway. And that, that sort of made sense to me because his style was very uh he didn't seem like the kind of bloke that would have social media. So I just tried to find out a little bit more about him. Does he have a website? Anyway, Googled his name. He bloody died in 2005. I was so shattered. I, I just discovered, I was so excited to hear his new material. I was thinking, man, if this guy ever comes to Australia, 100% I'm going to go see his show because he's so funny. He's so funny. He's got a, and his accent, it's like a combination of he's got a funny accent and also really interesting approaches to jokes. So, so <laughs> what was his joke? He goes, uh, hey, someone came up to me and said, hey, Mitch, you want a frozen banana? He's like, no, but I do want a regular banana later. So, yes. <laughs> Which is, it's so fantastic. Anyway, 
So I think a lot of his a lot of his stuff came out when like obviously YouTube wasn't a thing. So it seems like a lot of what's available of him is is a lot of the same material. So I'm really sad that I'm not going to be able to get through it. But I mean, I'm going to be able to get through it quicker than I'd anticipated. But what I was trying to say is I'm not going to be able to have anything else to look forward to at the end of uh, catching up with him because he's bloody dead. Heroin overdose. Which, to be honest, like as I was watching him, it, it doesn't surprise me. But I thought he might have just been leaning into that character a little bit more. I thought he might have just been a little bit... Yeah, you know when people put on a persona on stage? Easy to do. I thought maybe he's just doing that kind of thing. But no, he's... um. He bloody, he bloody was a, a, a drugo, and, and uh, I think it was heroin and cocaine found in his system when he died. Which, that, that's a weird, I don't know a lot about those kind of drugs, but that's a very upper and downer combination. Maybe, I'm sure some of my comedian friends who listen to this have experienced both of those drugs. So maybe you could clarify for me exactly what's going on. Here, like, let me just try and demonstrate the understanding that I do have. Here's my anticipation, uh, here's my, um, not anticipation, what's the word? Here's my guess, my estimation of, of what's taken place. So uh, it's 9 p.m. You think, hey, you know what? I wouldn't mind a little party. I wouldn't mind getting up and about. Let's do cocaine. That's a party drug, right? No one's doing cocaine to help them get to sleep, I don't think. So I, I reckon what, what you're doing, if you've got both of those in your system, you're getting really excited, you're getting up and about, and then you're thinking, fire out, okay, it's now 11.30, and I'm desperate to sleep, uh, but my pupils are still dilated, uh, I'm operating at quite a frantic pace. I've tried. I sat down to write three jokes. I've written four four pages of jokes. Uh, things got to slow down because I'm running out of energy real quick. I reckon that's where that's where heroin kicks in. Is it where heroin starts to go? Hey, oh, it, it just starts whispering. You know what? I'm gonna. I'll put you to sleep. Oh, and then maybe it's just a little bit of. It's just a little bit too much. You've gone a little bit too hard. The body can't quite filter it out. You can't handle it. Your system says, uh Man, you can't treat me like this. Before you know it, you're out. You're asleep, but then that sleep just goes forever. That's that's what I reckon. That's what I reckon. Hey, speaking of sleep, did you guys see poor blood? How about Joe Biden? Oh, my God. Let me just, let me start. Let me offer a little bit of context here. I would hate to be president of the United States. <laughs> I'm not good enough at criticism to be able to be the president. I'm getting better, but... Uh, but to know how many people don't like you would be would be quite confronting. And it doesn't matter. There's never been a, a president in the history of, of presidents where, where it's just universal that everybody likes him. And even one person saying, hey, Tyus, I don't least like you, that starts to hurt my feelings a bit. So it would be it would be very difficult to be a bloke like Joe Biden. And it's misleading as well because he's got all the media on his side. So, see, well, not all of them, but, but like the left-leaning media, which is most of them. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I guess they're heavily supported by the Democratic Party. And it's the same here. Like, why is that? The, the Labor Party in Australia seems to have its hand uh, in, in like the TV media. It seems to be, be really, um, what do you say? It seems to have a lot of power with the direction of what stories news media presents. And and Joe Biden's no different. So it's been really interesting trying to watch that or, or just watching mainstream media in the United States who, you know, have traditionally been a fan of the Democrats, just try and justify the behavior that he's had. And it's so so it's a bloody climate change conference going on at the moment, which is which is boring as shit. Like, honestly, I reckon you could be a healthy 25 year old kid and uh, be sitting there and you'd probably fall. I would fall asleep as well. But the problem for old boy Joe is he's got the reputation of, all right, it's pretty clear there's something going on in his brain. I don't say that to have a dig. I feel sad for him. I wish his wife would pull him aside and go, Joe, you know what? 
You've, you've been in politics for a long time now. You've done your best. You've had a fair crack. Uh, I want you to see that you're simply a puppet to this Democratic Party using you to uh, further... I don't know, you're the spokesperson, essentially, all right? That's a hard conversation to have to your, to your, your husband, though. Especially because, like, if, you, if you're on a, if you're on a 10-minute turnaround where the conversation goes in, then 10 minutes later, it's like, I wasn't, I'm not quite sure what you said, sweetheart, but I've got a feeling... It was something about maybe can you stop being president? And this is something I've worked my whole life towards. Uh, it's going to be really hard. For me. It's going to be really hard for me just to turn it down. Like, as if you're going to do that. <coughs> Excuse me. As if you're going to work your whole life to. Uh, my goal. My goal was to always run at the Olympic Games. I was a middle distance runner, fifteen hundred meters, five k. They were my distances. I I trained as hard as I could for a long time. Now here's the thing. If I eventually qualified for the Olympic Games and my wife came to me and said, "Hey, babe, you know what?" You've had a good crack. Uh, you're not good enough to win here. So I reckon, hey, you've qualified. You've done it. Maybe let's go home and just celebrate. What you, I'd go, are you, are you mental? Like, are you, are you insane? This is what I've trained my whole life for. Now, politics is, yeah, granted, it's not a sport, but it sort of is. I mean, what I like about politics is the same thing I like about sport. Like, I was, I'm not that interested in UFC, but I like Conor McGregor. And that was, that's what sucked me into the bloody US politics, was I'm not that interested in it. But man, J Donald Trump was fun to watch. <laughs> he sucked me in. Like, if I had to get pay-per-view to watch some of his, uh, watch some of his best moments, I think I'd buy it. I think I'd buy it and he'd get a real good pay packet out of it. And he'd go and tell you how much he made out of that deal on, on Instagram. And I would like that photo because I respect the game he's playing. Because it's a smart ass and I like watching little sensitive snowflakes get upset. <laughs> but as if Joe Biden's going to step down. So he, he, now, okay, so first things first. He's, he's out of shape. We've acknowledged that. We all know that he shouldn't be president. I don't think. That's my personal opinion. What do I know? I'm a 34-year-old guy who lives in Queenscliff in, in Australia. I, who, how, like, how the hell would I know who should be president? But if my humble opinion is, come on. Like, if, you, if it's 2 p.m., you're falling asleep after your, mid, your, like your lunch, this is, uh, this is something that really needs attention. <laughs> this needs to be focused on. Uh, someone, someone, that's what we could do with the uppers. You know, a little bit too much heroin, uh, a little bit not enough cocaine. We've got we to get that balance right, Joe. He's got to be on some kind of drug. Sure, I hope he is. Like, I, I, want, him to, I want him to be able to get through his term. and uh, it, it, uh, For his life, I, just, I wish nothing but the best for him. But, uh, but man, it, it takes its time. And there's some great memes going on about him as well. Have you seen that Let's Go Brandon? Uh, obviously, I think we spoke about it. That Let's Go Brandon, where uh, the, the the reporter NBC hears the the audience at Talladega going, "Hey, fuck you, fuck Joe Biden," and she goes, "Yeah, that's right. Yes, Let's Go Brandon." Um, and so this Let's Go Brandon thing's just taken off. And there's a great meme the other day of just his wife looking shattered, going, "Guys, can you please stop? He now thinks his name's Brandon." <laughs> so there's a great video if you want a little bit of entertainment. He had to do that classic, it reminds me of like my fourth, uh, no, not, not my fourth, it was like my seventh birthday party. So I had a, I had a group of friends over at my house and uh, I remember mum, mum, for whatever reason, she had a TV in her room. So she slept in my room for the night and there's like six of me and my mates in, in mum's room. And uh, anyway, we were watching Mrs. Doubtfire and it was my party and people were talking, they were having fun and I started to get real wobbly. I started to think, oh man, it's getting late, it's like 9.30 p.m., I'm a little bit tired, but my mate's like, no, we're going to stay up till midnight. And I was like, yeah, 100% we are. But then my eyes started to shut a little bit and I had to pretend I was open. Then one of my friends came up to me and goes, Ty, are you asleep? And I had, to, you know that game you play? We're like, no. Well, I was just shutting my eyes for a second. I was thinking and I couldn't think properly. So I had to block out everything. So I just, 
And they're like, oh, whoa, well, that was crazy because you're snoring. I was like, sometimes when I'm in deep thought, I snore. <laughs> and you've got to try and play that whole game of, um, of no, no, I'm, I'm not asleep. I was just resting my eyes. Well, I'd love to know what this bloke said, but Joe Biden, I don't know what time it was. It looks like it was in the middle of the day. Now, poor bastard up there. It sounded like a 16-year-old kid because we love 16-year-old kids when it comes to climate change information. It's like they're young, they're vulnerable. Um, it's a little bit of a catch cry. Not a catch cry. It's like a little bit of a, a call to future generations to say, hey, guys, we need this. Hey, go for it. I, I'm, hey, I'm, I'm all about cleaning up the, uh, cleaning up the environment. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm ready for it. But it's boring as shit to talk about. And at this conference, so Joe Biden started to talk, uh, fall asleep. Anyway, the, the poor bloke, the, the kid who's on stage, imagine going back to school and just saying, hey, guys, you never guess who I got to speak to. I got to just dish it out to world leaders and Joe Biden was sitting there and I just got to tell him what I thought. And then the footage comes out during your speech. The last thing you want, in fact, the worst result from a speech is is for the person that you're addressing, maybe the biggest, the, like the biggest hitter in the room in terms of status at least or in terms of titles, to fall asleep, that's not what that's not what you want at all. Do you know, that's, he's going to cop that sweet now from his friends because uh, you're the bloke who put the President of the United States to sleep. And then some guy come over and uh, I don't know what he said. He must have offered him a coffee. But Joe Biden was doing the, I'm just resting my eyes thing, had his head in his hands. He was starting to drift off a little. That mouth, the bottom lip started to open as if to say, I'm real relaxed. Then this guy comes over and says, like, hey, Joe, you want coffee? And you see Joe, <laughs> he just looks up at like the top left of his eyes. Like, oh, no. Like, if he was more aware of what was going on in that moment, he'd realize this is not this is not what I need right now. This is I've only just started to recover from me going on my babbles about, you know, there's 400 billion and million and trillion, 51,000 million people that live in America. Numbers aren't a strong point of him. But whenever you're midway through, a, uh, whenever someone's midway through a talk and you look out to the audience and someone's asleep, you go, all right, either they've had a real rough night or what I'm saying is, is probably not inspiring. It's happened a couple of times to me. I used to work at a church. I used to speak for 45 minutes. Some partners were there just because their, par- uh, uh, because their, their, their husband or wife told them that they had to be at church. I looked at the audience a few times, and um, it, it, it doesn't do a world of confidence when you when you look out and you see someone nodding off in the pew. <laughs> it's really disappointing, actually. Really frustrating. There's got to be a joke there. Maybe I'll talk about that. But um, it actually it reminds me, I remember once, I was in year 10. I was a bit of a late starter when it came to the girls as well. I was so focused on middle distance running, which wasn't the sexiest thing. Like most of the girls at school were more focused on on the on the football boys, do you know the? I was a late developer. I didn't have I didn't have like a nice beard. My I didn't have the chiseled jawbone that you're looking at. That jaw structure that you're looking at right now. The slick back hair. The ravishing good looks. Do you know uh, uh, the ability to talk bullshit to myself with so much confidence, like what's taking place right now? So, uh, girls was was it was not my top list of priorities when I was in high school. And uh, neither were boys, just to clarify. Like it wasn't, it wasn't that I was leaning one way or the other. I just mean relationships. It wasn't necessarily on my radar because I was too busy. I was too busy trying to emulate the Kenyan distance runners, which is like when you ask a girl at school what their dream uh, of a man is. Here in Australia, they don't say, "Oh, I just, I just want him to be like a Kenyan distance runner." <laughs> that's, that's, in fact, I never heard that conversation. And I remember one day we had this German exchange student, and uh, I can't remember her name. But whatever it was about, she just, man, she got to the school and I thought, oh my God, who is this chick? Like, I'm interested. 
And so, so a couple of my mates who were they were they were the football boys. You know what I mean? They were they were well developed. I looked like I was their younger cousin, just hanging out because because that's what I wanted to do. So I, I knew I knew how to uh, to lift my game by association. So I went to the boys. I go, hey guys, what's a German name? I don't know, but uh, Schranda. <laughs> okay, that wasn't her name. That's that was a that was a bad attempt. Uh, I was like, this chick, interesting, eh? Like she she looks good. And the boy said, she looks fantastic. Tosh, she's way out of your league. I said, hey, you know what? Um, I didn't come to you to hear that. In fact, I was, I was hoping more for, for maybe a little bit of inspiration as to how I could approach it. They said, oh, I'd like to apologize. It was a joke. It was just me bantering. I said, I appreciate that. Um, I said, I, I still know. Like, you're a little bit honest with that feedback, but I'm going to try and pretend it didn't happen. So here's the thing. We had school cross country coming up, which was my scene. We had school cross country. It was called Icy's Cross Country. Where the our school in Gippsland, we would drive down to Melbourne and we would race a whole heap of other Melbourne schools. So anyway, this chick was on the bus and uh, we but we got on last because we, we were sort of friends, like we got on okay. And uh, at the end, at the end of it, like all all my mates, so there's about eight of my mates. They said, "Hey, Tyce, don't worry about sitting with us today. Go sit with this chick." I said, "Boys, uh, appreciate appreciate the encouragement. That's exactly what I'm going to do." So I had a little bit of pressure on me because I knew the boys were watching me. I didn't have I didn't have much game. Not sure I still do, but I definitely didn't then either. And so so I sat next to this chick on the bus. It was like a two and a half, three hour trip, and I was trying to make small talk with her. But after after about and our conversation was like a strong point of mine. I thought, all right, well I can keep the conversation going. You just have to give me like the tiniest little bit of interest, just to let me know that this is not a one way thing. Problem was. Uh, turned into a real one-way conversation she she started to get real drowsy eyes and uh <laughs> i was thinking oh because i could she, i could see she was starting to drift off now the boys were at the back of the bus and every 10 minutes i get a text message go hey tice how you going because i didn't want to come down and cramp my style i said boys covered i've got this under control and uh anyway so we we we, <laughs> we parked we were in melbourne we parked the bus all the boys got off the bus and they all walked past me and this chick sound asleep next to me. And uh, and I'd been talking up a big game, like, boys got this covered, don't worry about it. And they came past and they pissed them. She woke up to their laughter. Now she sort of started to clue into what was going on a little bit. And uh, the, I've never I've never been given so much shit in my life. Because like when you think of things that could go wrong if you're trying to chat up a girl, there's a number of things. She could just flat out reject you, but at least the band-aid's off. She can just shut you down quickly and you're done. That's it. Like yeah, you know. But but what never really ventures onto the horizon of possibilities when it comes to chatting up a girl is that midway through your attempts to talk to her, she falls asleep and the boys at the back of the bus that you've been talking a big game to for the whole thing uh, are well aware of it and they come past you and go, Tosh, you need to work on this, man. Like you got you got some serious work to do. And then I didn't have... No, it, was, it stuffed me up because for the rest of the day I was like, well, I can't... Like, <laughs> my confidence was, it was too low. So what I'm saying is that it's never a good sign when someone falls asleep midway through what it is that you're trying to say. So I guess uh, that's a roundabout say, uh, uh, way of me saying I, I empathise with the, uh, I empathise with, with what was going on. But uh, communication's funny like that because there's, every now and then there's funny little things, there's, there's little moments that, that just pop up where it changes the way you communicate with someone. Now I saw, as she started to drift off, I thought, I'm either going to have to lift my game. But you also don't want to be that guy where you don't show that you understand the social cues. Because she might have been saying, hey, 
uh, I've had enough of these conversations. I want to go to sleep. So I was on a weird tension between, all right, I want to, I want to uh, get this uh, this relationship off to a perfect start, but I also don't want to overstep my mark in case I've just jumped the gun a little bit too early, and now is actually the time just for you to go to sleep. And it's weird. It's weird just watching pe- how how people pivot in particular situations that they're in during conversation. Now, for me, I had one of these moments just the other day. So I picked up Charlie from daycare, uh, 4 p.m. on, I think it was Thursday or Friday, and beautiful day, beautiful day down here in Point Lonsdale. Sun was shining. Uh, it was, I mean, it wasn't super hot, but it was hot enough to go for a swim. So we picked up our little man. We de- went down to the beach. Now, how's this for a random story? We were down at the beach, and I was mucking around doing handstands with him. Anyway, there was a heap of people. This is a true story. There's a heap of people down at the beach, and uh, quite a, it's quite a small pe- beach. So when I say heap of people, there's maybe 25 people, and we're all scattered around, but we're in a small enough area that we all sort of were aware of, of what was going on. Anyway, I busted out this handstand, and I reckon I've got a, I've got a reputation for exaggerating, but I reckon the handstand went for, I reckon I was up for 45 seconds, which was huge, and I could feel all the eyes of everyone at the beach just on me. Anyway, no joke. I landed the handstand and got a round of applause from people. It deserved one. But I reckon 15 of the 25 people who were watching just broke out in random applause <laughs> down at the beach. And what was super cute was Charlie was behind me. And because he's a year and a half, he doesn't have the strength to even do a push-up, let alone a 47-second handstand like he's, he's very strong dad. He just was he was copying me, but he was like in downward dog pose where he had his head on the sand. And it was it was just super cute. And there were these two kids behind us, and they're like, "Oh my god!" Like, it was such amazing handstand. One was a year five girl, and one was uh, like, a, what was his name? He had an interesting name, Gulliver, I think. Gulliver, Gulliver, and Warata was the girl's name. Super cool family. Anyway, the mum was super cool, a little bit hippie, vi- full hippie vibes actually. So we started to talk to these guys. We got on really well, and uh, and the mum was out in the ocean. <clears throat> I was having a chat to the kids. We we're building sandcastles or whatever. And uh, anyway, I was starting to get vibes from these kids that mum was full-blown hippie. Like, they were both born in the lounge room in, like, a blow-up pool. I thought, hey, respect. I really like that. Um, then they were saying their mum uh, meditates for, like, 45 minutes every day. Sometimes it gets really annoying because they just want to have fun and mum just keeps meditating. Anyway, mum came up, full hippie, super cool. Got on really well with it. We're laughing. Compliments going back and forth between the two families. Then all of a sudden, uh, she's she's done the old, uh, just like the, the stretch where she's got her arms up like this. And she's she's rocking a set of underarm hair like I'd never seen on a woman before. Now I know the feminists in our in our world are a big fan of this, but for me it was a culture shock because socially it's not something I'm used to. Now I'm not here to make any political statements as to what you should be doing with your armpits, ladies. But if it was my decision, I'd say you know what, just just trim, just keep it shaved, could you? It's <laughs> just for my own personal. No, the reason I say it is because uh, it th- it just throws you off. It throws you up. Now, I can feel the anger of feminists, and I, I, I kind of don't understand it. If you're angry about the fact you think women should be able to grow their hair, I mean, they've got the right to, but I also have the right to be able to rea- react in a way that's uh, not what you would anticipate for hairy armpits. Maybe you think I should accept it. I just can't. I can't bring myself to do it. It throws me off too much because my mind starts wandering. I start going, whoa, far out. Because to me... Like, because she had shaved legs. I did a quick check. I was like, all right, well, I feel like you need a little bit more consistency across the board here. Like, I, I feel like underarm hair is a statement to say, hey, look, I'm full-blown hippie. F the system. This is what I do. Go for it. You go, girl. I don't care. But I think uh, you, you can't be going underarm hair and, and shaved legs because it's 
it's inconsistent. It's like having a green smoothie and a donut. It's like, uh, it's sort of, uh, they cancelled each other out a little bit. Um, so, so, but it really threw me off and it, it came to my mind. I was like, man, it's interesting just watching me trying to pretend that I hadn't seen it. And it was one of those situations, honestly, you know, if someone comes past you, guys, you'll relate to this. Like if, uh, if, if, uh, you know, uh, is it well endowed if it's a girl? Is it well endowed? Like if a girl has a bikini on, she's, and she's got, she's doing good. Do you know what I mean? Like if she's coming past and she's got a little bikini and, and there's, there's a little bit of bounce in the step, if you know what I mean. Um, you you got to maintain eye contact because the rule one is, hey, maintain eye contact. Because the moment your eyes, the moment your eyes glance away, their eyes are already locked on you, anticipating that you're going to look down. So the moment that your eyes look down, they see that movement, and, and it's game over. You're, it's ridiculous. You made a fool out of yourself. They've seen you. They've seen you look. So in my head, I was like, Tyus, maintain eye contact. But every time she was, she was very animated with the way she moved her hands. So there's a lot of arm movement and a lot of glimpses at hair. So I don't know. It was just a weird. How would you guys go in that situation? How, maybe I just need to expose myself to more. I, I used to shop at an organic, an organic food shop in um, Tufnell, not Tufnell Park, Kentish Town. It was called when I lived in London, and uh, I, I think as a part of your job application to work at that shop, that shop, I think yeah, organic shop, very hippie chicks. One girl in particular, she's like a Hare Krishna, great girl, like great conversation, love going there, really cool people. A lot of armpit hair though, and it's just something I get nervous about around my food because, like a lot of the. You're buying beans and stuff in bulk, and because you're buying in bulk, obviously you're just scooping the bean and putting it into into the plastic bag. But as you're as you're scooping it into the plastic bag, you're remembering the fact that it's these girls with their loose armpit hairs who's put the who who are putting the beans into the plastic into the big bulk containers. So I used to get real nervous. I was going to get home and get like a hair uh, stuck in my teeth from a red kidney beans, and I don't know. It just it just threw me off. It just threw me off. It's uh, it's something you don't want to see at the beach. I reckon it's it's <laughs> amongst things you don't want to see at the beach. For me, it's hairy armpits on a woman is the first thing. And then the second thing is a shark. <laughs> that, that's probably like an accurate representation of how much I'm not a fan of hairy armpits at the beach. That's just me though. And I think there's a good reason for it. Like there's... Did I tell you the story last week about how I was at the beach and, and I was swimming and I saw an oversized fish. I thought it was a barracuda. I got out and about five minutes later, a guy walked past and I said, hey, mate, like, look at this barracuda that was swimming around because it was quite close to the shore and you could see its fin coming out of the water. It was only like a meter long. Uh, maybe it's 50 centimeters. I'm exaggerating. Like, I'm, I'm trying to make this sound like a bigger deal than it was. But he goes, mate, that's not a, that's not a barracuda, mate. That's a bloody shark. And I was like, are you telling me I was swimming with a shark? And uh, even though it was so small, I thought, I'm glad he didn't come over to just check out my calves. So it made me nervous because I, I didn't know if it was a baby shark or a full-grown shark that just grew to a small size. So I wasn't sure whether its mum was around. It was like a magpie situation. You know when you see like those baby magpies, it's got the grey fuzzy fur. And it's it's not fur, is it? It's feathers. Um, they got the grey fuzzy feathers. It's middle of September here in Victoria. And you know you're around big trees and there's a magpie going to come and swoop you. I thought it could have been one of those situations where in a moment... I've just been uh, like I've accidentally bumped into the, t the the tail of this baby shark, and a mama shark was going to come in protect it. But when you're comparing like the scale of a big magpie and a big shark protecting its baby, I'd still, as much as I hate magpies, I would still take the the magpie confrontation over like a mama shark confrontation because a magpie is going to like make a scary sound and hit the back of your head, maybe just remove like a small layer of skin, but a mama shark would quite easily take your leg off. So that's a, that seems like a silly comparison to make, now I say it out loud, but 
it's uh, it, it's on my mind a little bit. These shark attacks because you don't hear of it much here in Victoria. Like I'm at the start where where I live is uh, relatively close to the Great Ocean Road. Now the Great Ocean Road leads down to Apollo Bay, and I think there was a shark attack at Apollo Bay, which is which is <clears throat> I don't know how uncommon it is, but shark attacks in Victoria. You, you don't hear about it a lot. I'm on the east coast of Australia. On the west coast of Australia, the water's a little bit more war, uh, a little bit warmer. That Atlantic Ocean, um, there's a lot more seals swimming around. I think it's a bit more of a comfortable territory for sharks to spend their time. And uh, Cottesloe Beach in WA was was always a sketchy one. And I don't know if it was Cottesloe Beach, but some bloody poor bastard was just killed over the weekend uh, having a swim. I'm gonna guess. I'm gonna guess as a as a former Perth resident and as a bloke who's watched enough news to know that sharks love Cottesloe Beach. I'm gonna guess that this bloke was hanging out at, at Cottesloe. But it's a rough it's a rough thing, isn't it? That's the one thing that throws me off surfing. I've told you guys I get seasick. The other thing that really throws me off is is just just knowing that you're sharing, like it could be the lounge room of the shark. You don't know what part of the ocean you're in, in in comparison to what part of the ocean that is. Like if, do you ever, th- I always think about, all right, if this is the shark's house, which it is, that's the ocean, like is Port Phillip Bay where I swim, is that its bedroom? Because if that's its bedroom and it gets there and I'm spending time in its bedroom and it wasn't anticipating me being there, it's got every right to fire up. But this is the, this is the thing with surfing. You just, I don't know, it, it really just freaks me out. And you hear these stories and you see these photos. If you've never seen the photo of, uh, now this isn't this isn't that close to where I am. It's I mean it's it's in the same ocean, which is close enough, but um, it, it's far enough away to at least be on the on the outskirts of the radar on your mind of where sharks might be if you're in the ocean. But in the 70s, there was a massive shark caught at Phillip Island here in Victoria. Go and Google it. Now Phillip Island is uh, Phillip Island is like a, a well-known surfing location. Also well-known for its penguins, and I'm pretty sure it's well-known for its seals. Like there's a lot of seals and stuff going on there. But uh, but you see this, you see the size because you don't really think about the size of a shark, do you? Uh, I mean, you know, in the back of your mind, like I tell my boy Charlie, hey, this is what a shark does, and he starts going. Ugh. Like he does, he understands that shark now have teeth that they're big, but until you see the size of a shark just hanging up in a photograph, or until you see it's like it's shark flipper or shark wing, knock Mick Fanning off his surfboard, and the like the fin or whatever is as big as Mick Fanning, it's hard to comprehend the pure size of a shark. It's just so what I'm trying to say is, I don't know what am I trying to say? <laughs> sharks are, sharks are quite big, and I don't think I want to participate in surfing anymore because I got a surfboard in in like this corner of my room. You can't see it right now, and I'm nerve. Actually, you know what? Let me just see if I can turn this camera without switching it off. Look at that. That's my surfboard. It's it's six foot four, and uh, in comparison to a shark, that's nothing, and that's a decent size. That stands four inches over my head. Maybe four and a half, but I don't want you to know I'm five foot eleven, three quarters and a bit. When you could just think I'm six foot, why would I swap it? So, I don't know. What do you take out of that? I'm not. I'm not sure what there is to take out of it. But be careful, guys, because they're bigger than you think. And then you see, then you see that that Jaws movie, which is going back to the seventies. Like it doesn't even look realistic. But I mean, that's just what it is. That's just what it is. Anyway. I feel like the further along I go, the more I realize that, okay, surfing's just not my thing. If you're that scared of sharks that it's all you think about, like every time you see a shadow in the ocean, just get a new hobby, mate. Take up skateboarding. 
Do you know what I mean? There's far less sharks on the on the pavement, unless it's just like an angry old man yelling at me for not having my mask on, which is not happening at the moment, which is great. Uh, oh yeah, the vibe down here at the moment has changed. I reckon, here's my thing. I think masks remove 25% of someone's joy because so much of the human emotion is is expressed through the face that if you walk past and smile at someone, unless you've got really animated eyes, you don't see that smile, you don't register. So no one knows whether people are happy or whether they're just looking at them, giving them daggers. So I noticed that since Dan Andrews told us, hey guys, you're free to take your mask off as you're walking along the beach, which is a preposterous hypothesis in its entirety, if you ask me, but people obey it, which is a whole other podcast. Uh, since people have taken it off, the joy down here, the level of the level of happiness has gone up 13% minimum. There's so many smiles being thrown around. I think I think people are just happy to see people's faces uh back out in public. Do you know what I mean? Like people are just happy. And hey, update, I've been, I've been like, as I said, I'm no longer telling people whether I'm vaccinated or not. It's just my new answer when someone says, are you vaccinated? I say, are you circumcised? End of conversation. It never is the end of conversation because people are, are flabbergasted by by that question. But I've been eating out regularly this week, maybe more than what I'd ever been eating out before because I'm really curious to know which places are, are actually um, following the rules. So so if someone says to me, have you got your Vax passport? I say, hey, sorry, I forgot it. And I don't eat there. I just like to go around town, find out which ones are, which ones are, which ones are, are not asking as diligently. And the good news is for a town as small as what I live in, there's quite a few of them going on, which is, which is fantastic news. Makes me very happy. Um, but it's been interesting because the Melbourne Cup took place here in in Melbourne, obviously, which is, I guess you need to clarify that because the AFL Grand Final has traditionally always been in Melbourne as well. And then um, the last two years, it's been in Perth and uh, and Brisbane. So maybe it is worth clarifying that. So the Melbourne Cup it took place here just over the weekend. And we're excited because we're saying, all right, we're going to allow up to 10,000 vaccinated people to, to be a part of this. And people are like, yeah, F the unvaxxed. You can't wait to be here and just eat in safety and watch our races in safety. And then uh, all over uh, Channel 9 News today is uh, <laughs> there's been two COVID cases from the Melbourne Cup. Now, I'm really interested to see the different responses of people when you talk about things like this, because the whole effectiveness of the vaccine is is very confusing. So I understand the anti-vaxxers say, I trust my immune system, all right? I'm not worried about my health. I think my own immune system will be able to fend this off. The vaxxers say, no, no, we're about herd immunity. So uh, if you get this vaccination, it's it's better for the herd. I, I really struggle to understand this. So how does this work? So, and genuine question, like I sincerely mean that, and I've been trying to work it out the last couple of weeks. I'm like, all right, obviously everyone who's on the, uh, on the, hey, let's get vaccinated fence isn't crazy. I don't think, like, just like I know that not everyone on the anti-vax page is is not crazy. Like there's, there's a whole heap of people who seem perfectly reasonable there with some really good arguments. But I struggle to understand what is this herd immunity? So if you're vaccinated and I have COVID, Obviously, the level of protection that you have against me is higher. Is that, I think? So I think, so obviously, if you catch COVID off me, even with that vaccination, 
the severity of your symptoms are going to be lower, which means it's going to be harder for you to pass it on. But that, that's what I don't understand because, because people still pass it on. But then I know like the next thing is, no, no, but it's about the severity and it's about hospitalizations. And, but it's not all that because there's a lot of people saying, no, no, if, you, if you've got the vax, you can't, like your chances, are, you're just not going to get it, which is not true because now we're seeing people at the Melbourne Cup get it and we've got to go, hang on, um, I'm, I'm really confused. Because I, I lost my job over this. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's very confusing. And how's this one for you? So I saw this stat the other day. Check this one out. So if you're a double vaccinated person and you're in ICU or if you're in hospital uh, getting treatment for your symptoms, if you're double vaccinated, you're no longer considered a COVID patient because you're double vaccinated. But if you die of uh, cancer but you have COVID in your system at the time of your death, you are considered a COVID death. So not only are the numbers of people in the ICU misleading because there are double vaccinated people in there getting treatment for symptoms uh, that aren't being counted as symptoms, uh, aren't being counted as COVID patients. There's also people dying of completely other causes who happen to have COVID at the time of their death who are being uh, registered as COVID death. So this is anyone who's saying that this is an honest conversation is is a spastic. I think it's the only way. To, I think you have to be spastic to say. But it, granted, it's on both sides. There's spastics on both sides. Don't get me wrong. Don't mishear me. I'm not saying one side has no spastics and the other side has all the spastics. There's it. It seems to be perfectly divided uh, down the middle of spastics on both sides of the fence. I've got. I mean, I know some spastics who. And maybe maybe these spastics consider me the spa I've said spastic too many times. It's too, you can't. That's one of those words you're not supposed to say anymore. But I mean, once you've said it twelve times, I, I think the severity of it it, it wears off. Um, <clears throat> but I say it like the word idiot. Do you know? Like I'm just using that word like I'd use the word idiot. It's more complimentary. It's all a. It's like a term of of endearment. It's like you can't. Um, I don't know. It's like I call my I call my best mates cockhead, dickhead, wanker. How you going, you fat bastard? <laughs> did I tell you last week about my joke? Yeah, I did. I'm not even going to repeat it again because I felt like after I delivered it, um, it just it didn't really have the impact that I thought it would. I, I thought the laughter through uh, this podcast it would almost be audible to me here in Queenscliff, but but it, it wasn't. It wasn't quite that funny. So. Um, yes, uh, spastics either side of it. Other thing that I'm upset about is someone's just won a million dollars here from the vaccine lottery. Uh, so uh, I don't know if we had this all around the world, but if you're if you're overseas, one of the things that we had here in Australia to encourage people to get this vaccination was, all right, we've got a whole heap of philanth philanthropists. Is that what it is? Philanthropists, rich businessmen who are wealthy businessmen or generous people donating a certain portion of their income as a, a prize for a lucky winner who, once they get their vaccination, gets a ticket to this vaccine lottery, which just sounds, it sounds despicable to me. Anyway, I was all against it. I was all upset. I thought, this is preposterous. What a dumb thing to have. And then just this morning, it announced the winner. And I'm like, this is bullshit. Why didn't I enter? <laughs> because when you know that someone's won a million dollars because they participated, it gets less... It sounds less silly. It's like, okay, well, I didn't like the sentiment. I didn't like the idea of what was going on there. But now it doesn't matter. She's got a million dollars and I and I want it. 
I want it really badly. So please, if you could, uh, if you could give it to me, that that's a dumb comment. Like, what a ridiculous. Thing. She's not going to be giving it to me, especially with how much shit I've I've given. Well, I've given. Uh, I, I think I've probably given. I've I've given the vaccinated side of the crew a little bit more shit than I have the non-vaccinated, but. That's just because I feel like there's been a lot of loud vaccinated people on social media. Maybe you feel the opposite. Someone said to me, I just feel like there's so many Muppets out there and they get all the airtime who are who are anti-vax. So I thought, oh, well, that's the complete opposite to how I feel. Um, so one of us has got to be right. I, historically speaking, it, it could be me that was wrong. So, <laughs> so I'll, I'll humbly accept that. But I don't know. There's so much wokeness going on at the moment as well. It's hard to know. It's hard to know. Um, it's hard to know who to listen to. It's hard to know who's right because the, there's so much nuance. Like you need a little, you need to have the ability to be able to see nuance in order to be able to hear arguments out well because there's so much black and white. And I heard a bloke come out just this morning. There was a, he was like a former ABC journalist in the United States, and he came out and he said, oh, "I was thinking, I was sitting at church over the weekend. I had this realization that man, when when Jesus was on Earth, Jesus he would have been considered woke. I don't know about that." I'm not sure if that's true. Jesus as well. So the problem with the word woke was like everything that the left creates. Like it starts as one thing, but then it just gradually gets pushed further and further and further down a spectrum. So woke originally, I think, from what I understand, I remember just a few years ago being in London, hearing the word woke, and it just means people who were uh, well aware of the fact that like the material possessions, the monetary value, the... Um, the things that so much of our society puts value on is is only one part of our value. Like a woke person had, it was almost like a spiritual awareness that there was something greater taking place in the background. But now woke just means that you have to uh, love Black Lives Matter. You have to shout down Donald Trump. Uh, you have to vote Joe Biden. You have to wear a mask. You have to uh, be a Democrat. Like, <laughs> is it possible to be a Republican in the United States and also be woke? I'm not sure. I don't see how that's possible. But I feel like the idea of what woke... Jesus pissed off too many people is is my is my idea. Now, like the woke, the woke crowd do piss off a lot of people, but I feel like... They're, they're pandering to, I don't know, who are they pandering to? They're pandering to, hmm, I don't know, the, the woke, obviously on the surface it sounds nice that they're trying to take care of the disenfranchised, but I think the argument becomes are the people that they're saying are disenfranchised really are disenfranchised? Because Jesus gave shit to to a whole heap of people. It didn't matter if it was one of his disciples. It didn't matter if it was like the religious power figures of the day or the political leaders or the Romans. Uh, he was, he pretty much, he was, he was talking track. He was talking smack as he was nailed to the cross. Like, hey, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. <laughs> like People always say, hey, what a gracious, what a gracious word to go out on. Like, forgive them. I reckon he's talking smack. I reckon he's like, hey, forgive these dicks. Like they don't, they have no idea what they're doing. They're a bunch of wankers. <laughs> no, I don't know. That's just that's just my that's my Bible commentary. I haven't ever seen that in actual Bible commentary, so I'm not sure that there's a whole heap of weight to it. But I don't know. I just felt like it was it was being a there's a little bit of satire in that. There's a little bit of smart ass in that. Um, it sounds like something I would do. Like if Jesse did the wrong thing to me, my wife, I go, oh babe, all right, you know, I'll let you off the hook. You don't really know what you're talking about. You don't really know what. You're... What an ultimate power move. <laughs> to be nailed to a cross, being executed, and like, oh, don't worry. They don't know what they're doing. All right. They're so cute. <laughs>
Um, as I said, not sure that's what was happening. I don't, do you reckon he was woke? What is the definition of woke? I think, yeah, it, that, that's what you have to establish before you start saying who's woke and who isn't. Because there's too many, there's too many people on the left that are going, yeah, yeah, no, he's woke. And there's, we just, essentially, we just want him to look like us, don't we? Like we want him, uh, Republicans say, no, no, he was, he was fairly conservative. Democrats say, no, he was 100% woke. Ethiopians say he was black. Uh, Aussies say he was white. Uh, until I was 13, I thought Jesus had blonde hair, blue eyes, and a, a, a beautiful golden tan. <laughs> I remember seeing like an Israelite version of what Jesus looked like. I thought, these guys have no idea what they were talking about. Then I saw some Ethiopian say, no, no, like it was him. He was black, represented as an African. I was like, Jesus wasn't black. <laughs> this is blasphemy. What are you talking about? It's uh... Anyway, so essentially what I'm trying to say is, uh, for those of you who care about the thoughts of Jesus, we do have a bias to, to tend to make him look like what we look like ourselves which is probably something that should be looked upon itself anyway uh that was a random pivot hey that's all i've been speaking for an hour and that's far far more than i should have been speaking for so have a good rest of your week um let me know if jesus was woke ask jesse whether or not um she wants to share with you why i had to edit last week's podcast and i'll see you all back here next week